0: Now let us remain standing for the reading of God's holy and errant word. We read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. <clears throat> but it, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Father God, Please allow this word to be boldly received by us, as it is a most serious charge. It is a most serious request that comes from you. Help us, le- help us to soberly count the cost. Help us to soberly consider what you are asking us to do here, and help us to be faithful in upholding your word and living by this doctrine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We in the Park family have likely done more traveling than most in the last 15 months, mainly up to our place in Mahupany. Um But we did have... Uh, We've had a few other experiences, a few other trips out to Gettysburg, out to Lancaster, and then we had in January the the big trip where we uh, went from sea to shining sea literally uh, from my sister's house in Annapolis where the trip began to my uh, childhood city of San Diego and and then um, back again and even when we returned in our return journey we took a different way across the country and so We've, we've had the chance to kind of see different communities during this past year. Different responses, different um, things that are captivating and capturing the mind of the variety of cultures that this United States kind of has contained within it. And without a doubt, the one that has been most unique... In this time period, and one that even my wife and I um, in our upcoming kind of summer vacation have said, we, we really need to take a couple days and spend some time there, is none other than Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I love how Lancaster, Pennsylvania has been in response to this kind of chaotic time period and chaotic time of year. Uh, I mean, it took out a couple of months. And so much so that my wife and I, we actually went out there without our children. The Stikes were gracious enough to watch our kids um, so that we could head out to the Shady Maple and uh, go do some furniture shopping and all these sorts of things. And, and we just had such an experience of it all that we said, we got, we've got to return here. And why is that? Well, of course, Lancaster is kind of that hub of Amish society. And and Mennonite culture, and the brethren, and other cultures that very much so um, capture and understand, maybe sometimes to an extreme, but understand some of the idea that Paul's going to try to convey to us in our passage today. That we are not to live like the world, that we are to be different, that we are to stand out, now, does that mean we have to do, uh, live a life of kind of a reenactment of colonial Williamsburg? I'm not, saying that's, I'm not saying this sermon should lead you to be Amish by the end of it. But there is an aspect of we are not to be of the world. We are to be in the world. Remember, this comes from a writer who had no problem going to Mars Hill, the epicenter of philosophy in Athens, Greece, and debating with the philosophies of his day. This is a writer currently in prison in Rome because of his philosophies that he had no problem sharing in the public square at times when it so required it, and sharing and, and, and offering. This is a writer that is writing to a city of Ephesus that was all surrounded around the worship of Artemis and saying, you're not to live by their standards, their community standards. And so there's, there's something to be seen in that. The Amish aren't just this, like, group of people who um, uh, are, are, are a cautionary tale, but we really should appreciate something of their uniqueness, their ability to stand out uniquely in a kind of a chaotic time. And yet, according to the world, the Amish are, like, the most outdated of all outdated. You know, they probably don't even know that the big debate going on right now is UFOs. Or, or gender pronoun debates, or systematic racism debates, or equity versus equality debates, or even how you define racism. Or... And so how terrible it must be for them. They don't know what's trending in Twitter. They don't know what Dr. Fauci said this week. They don't have a Facebook wall. They don't have an Instagram account. They don't even own Bitcoins, which this week is a good thing. It would have lost a lot of money. In the, well, almost every major American city has had some form of notable civil unrest this year of, of civic strife over the past 15 months. And communities often now breaking and breaking out into who is to blame for the problems of the world. Whether in Philly, whether in New York City, Chicago, Portland, Los Angeles and the like. Is anyone really expecting the Lancaster area to soon boil over? Are we expecting large scale riots and public mayhem at the high quality furniture stores and the shady maple soon? Are we expecting the kinds of violent attacks made in the name of Allah and Palestinian uh, justice that were made in New York this past week against Jews? Are we thinking that sight and sound is going to break out some gender norms and introduce a totally new idea of Esther? Are we expecting a war to break out between the Mennonites and the Brethren and the Amish any day where the UN has to get involved to stop it all? No, of course not. And part of the reason why is because the community largely understands the idea found in our text today. We are not to be of the world. We are not to give in to worldly philosophy. Also, we aren't to escape the world. And so that's, again, why this sermon isn't why you should be an Amish individual. But that's for another sermon. Really, the previous two weeks, we covered that. But before us today is a text based on the idea that there is something to the kind of simpler life we often can find when we venture into a Lancaster County, when we venture into a church that's living to the beat of a different drum. The world's ways, the world's thinking, the world's ideas are not to be a guiding light for us. Our communities should stand out to having a unique kind of stability, especially in times of uncertainty, because we hold on to something far better than what the world does, and more importantly, we have a rock and we have a security that is stable, unlike anything else in Jesus. Our passage begins in verse 17 with the Apostle Paul making clear what he's about to say, And he he says, this isn't my personal opinion. This is what God has told me to say. Basically, Paul is letting you know here, he knows he's writing something from God directly. This is sort of like in my household, you know, I'll occasionally, I know you don't believe it, but sometimes one of these four girls will kind of freak out and will go into chaos and tears. And I can hear, like, one of the sisters said, calm down, you know, calm down, relax. And of course, because we've been children before, and if you had siblings, does that often work for them? No. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not calming down because you said I'm going to calm down. And then sometimes, and often because the parsonage is kind of separated by stairs, I'll have another one of these four individuals, you know, downstairs, and I'll send them as an emissary from the father. Dad says calm down. And then of course... If they don't respect my emissary, well, that's when godly discipline comes on. But they usually heed the emissary's warning. Paul is the emissary of God here. He's making it clear in verse 17. This isn't me here. I'm, send, I'm giving you this message from God. This is God's demand on you. This is not my personal opinion that I'm stating. This is the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. He's, he's pulling out the apostle card. And so, Paul's message is as a fellow child of God, speaking to other children of God, warning them of what God has declared. And what has God declared? He's declared that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That's the overarching principle of Paul's point today. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And before we carry on, can I just stop there for a moment, in order to admit the following? That's going to be a hard thing to do. Far harder than calming a kid down. You know, one of the great ironies of our current time is that America has inherited a foundation in which the founders, even though a great many of them were not Christian, they deeply respected and saw the benefit of the Christian worldview for society, And yet in our own days, there is this idea and these new social movements that they believe themselves to be in the minority resistance. A group of renegades that they believe they're going to fix the ills of the world, especially America, by successfully further secularizing America, decoupling society from uh, its religious principles and foundation, even though I'm not saying America was a Christian nation, yet it saw the wisdom of Christianity in its founding, yet, of course, had some exceptions where it failed to see it. But there is this idea that this resistance is powerfully brave, and and they are going to change our society. And they, they love to see themselves as this great movement, this underdog story, even though the mainstream media... The major universities, all the major Fortune 500 companies pretty much, the largest internet portals, Hollywood, and almost every branch of federal government has predominantly decided that we need the changes and agrees with them on the changes this society needs. And so it's open season on biblical worldviews, so much so that I heard a scary stat from uh, Millennials this week, and millennials are people that, uh, from born after uh, 1984, and they are the first generation in American history that uh, less than half believe in God. Actually, I think it was 38%, more than one-third believe in the following principle, if somebody has harmed you, violent vengeance is okay, as a response, that's a scary, scary idea. There are interesting times coming where the world's philosophies are going to collide with the Christian worldview and are already colliding. And uh, we are going to have to decide if we want to live by the command of God, God's word that has come to us through the emissary of Paul of Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. Just yesterday I heard a federal court banned a Christian university from allowing its dorm room showers to be based on biological gender just a few months ago the supreme court was only only voted 5 to 4 to preserve the right in my home state of california for people to have bible studies in their home one vote before it would have been illegal and you would have to go underground to hold a Bible study in your home in the most populous state in the Union. And so, count the costs right at the beginning, Christian. The stakes are already fairly high and they might continue to go higher. To really live out this principle God's conveying to us through Paul at the start of our passage today. You really have to decide how far you're willing to go in order to obey this word from God. You really have to decide if you're going to resist the world, its values, its wisdom, and its logic. And remember, it's, this is written by a writer who eventually was willing to honor this word even to the point of death itself. We've got to look differently, we've got to think differently, and we've got to act differently. We've all got to have a little bit more of Lancaster in us when the world continues to get more and more crazy. And why can't we surrender to their reasoning? Because as verse 18 says, it's darkened. And what does darkened mean? It means it's darkened. It's really hard to see. I want you to imagine something for a moment. Remember when you're in, in your childhood, and maybe for some of us it's, it's carried on through our adulthood, but it's really dark. And your mind starts to play tricks on you, right? Let's imagine that a child of the church went down into the basement of the church. And in the basement of the church, they didn't turn on the light, but they, go, they run back up, and they come running through the church and say, there's a bear down there, a bear that was ready to eat me. There's a bear down there. Well, am I, am I really going to believe that child? You know, and the off chance that it really was a bear, okay. I, I will be surprised. But let's imagine right after that child, Terry Long comes up from the basement. He had been down there with the lights turned on. And he says, Kevin, your dog escaped from the parsonage again. Chapel, it was snoring in the basement. Whose perspective are you going to choose to believe at that moment? The child with darkened understanding? Or the one who has observed the setting through the lens of the light? I think we would tend to lean with Terry Long in this moment. And yet, what what do we do as Christians? Here we are, we're receiving a warning. It says, Christian, never let those sitting in the darkness define what's in the basement when the lights are off. Don't let them define things like, what's the best, biggest problem in our world today? Let the Word of God define it. Don't let them define things like, what's the best way to raise a family? Let the Word of God define it. Or what's the kind of family member or spouse or parent we're supposed to be? They're not, they're in darkened understanding. They're not supposed to define that. Or what's marriage? I mean, didn't Darwin come up with marriage? Of course not. You can't account for marriage in, in a worldly worldview. Re- marriage is a biblical concept. It's a religious ceremony. The world can't give you logic for Marriage. Or what's gender? Or what is the beginning of life? Or what is the natural state of humankind without God? And the problem is, we know what the Bible speaks on these matters. And we know that the Bible gives us clear answers to these kinds of questions. And yet we are tempted to have certain categories that we say to God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to heed your emissary. I'm not going to heed your word. I prefer that darkened perspective. I find you intolerant of what I want to be true, God. So then we'll agree with the world on certain matters and areas where we're clearly not allowed to agree with the world. I just had someone who wanted to meet up with me for breakfast there, considering going to seminary. And it was a nice enough conversation uh, that nobody connected with the church. Um, And at the end, though got into like recommending some seminaries and the individual said, but I can't go to a seminary that teaches this idea. And, I, and the idea that they shared was an idea that frankly, the Jewish community, the New Testament church has basically always been unanimous on. And I, and I said, why? Do you have a biblical argument for this? you know, this view? And they said, no. And they started talking about how they loved a certain member of their family. And how their love for this person of the family caused them to not care about what God says about it. But basically, they, they, they don't want to hear it. And so that kind of like changed the discussion rather quickly. Because it's not just that Hollywood, the media... And these sorts of things are going to, at times, align and with their darkened perspectives, tempt us to follow them and follow their logic. But also, we're going to have these kind of golden calves that we're not going to want to give up on, even though he basically admitted in the conversation he knew what the Word of God stated. So again, I continue to reiterate if you're going to live by Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24 it's going to be a big ask because to really follow listening to God's word over and against not just the philosophies of the world not only will you have tension there but this will sometimes create tension in our own families there are areas in my life, my wife's life where the word of God being clear in certain areas has created family tensions And yet our Lord has warned us we're not to be captured by worldly philosophies or superstitions. We should be captivated by the word of God. So this is a big ask to have a little bit more of Lancaster in our lives. Not just because people will make a mockery of you in the mainstream media and the main portals of the internet and dominant political movements of our day in the university and Hollywood types, but because if we really live by this book, it will cause division at times within our friends and families. Though let me also just state the silver lining of that is the Bible can still tell us that even when it, we have those differences... The silver lining is that we can still treat them with gentleness and respect and love them even though we disagree with them because of what God's clearly said. But if we really listen to what the word is asking of us this world and commit ourselves to believing and entrusting our lives in this kind of way it's going to cost all of us. Just look at some of the descriptions and descriptive words Paul uses to describe a mind filled with worldly philosophy. He says it's darkened, it's alienated, it's ignorant, it's hard of heart, which means really insensitivity towards God. He talks about callousness. You know, and so we need to not be callous to the words of our God. This week, my uh, daughter was trying to earn a few extra dollars. And so she... Sorry, Caitlin. um, She was going to Bruce's house, Bruce Clydesdale's house, in order to do some mowing. And we didn't have any sunscreen. And she was going to be on the mower for four hours. And so she's never done this before. And so I am telling her as a father what she should wear. I even actually, as a father, because I knew... You know, a young girl in her early teens, she doesn't want to look like a nerd. Uh, you know, I even told her what Bruce would be wearing. I called the shot even not knowing what Bruce was wearing. And did I end up being right? Did I end up being right about what Bruce was wearing and how he was wearing it? That he was going to wear like a piece of cloth around his neck so he didn't get sunburned? Yes. And so I tell her this. And I say, so this is the outfit you need to wear before I take you to Bruce's. And she comes down, and had you listened? No. She comes down with a really cute outfit that, like, you know, she'd go to the mall with, you know? And so I send her back up again, tell her the changes she needs to make, and then this time Audrey gets involved, and Audrey, you know, I tell her to, to put what to put on, and Audrey goes, you don't need to put that on, you don't need to wear that just just go back, you know, just, just go and, and, and be, be in your current outfit, and so sure, sure enough, she comes down again, and I just decide at that point, okay, hopefully the Clydesdales will have sunscreen, because she's not listening to me, and they don't have sunscreen, and so I end up having, after dropping her off, to go back to go finally get the clothing that she needed in order to do the job. What's this illustration all about? Beyond just embarrassing my 13-year-old. Well, she ignored my advice, even though my advice was trying to prevent her from looking like a lobster in four hours. That her fair skin wasn't going to stand up to the noonday sun on an 88-degree day if she didn't have it covered. And she basically ignored me because she was being insensitive to the words that I gave her and the manner in which I gave it and rather she wanted to hear and she wanted Audrey to be right she wanted the cute outfit that she could go to the mall in to be the outfit she should do gardening in. I'm sure some of you have great gardening outfits but usually gardening is one of those things where you kind of look like a refugee when you do it I know we were out doing gardening last week, yesterday, and not many of you were very stylish, fashionably. Um, myself included, by the way. All right. So what Paul is saying here, for us to be wise in the Christian life, it's not about our preferences. It's not about our feelings. It's, about, it's not about the world's feelings or preferences. It's about God's authority, God's wisdom, God's word. And we don't want to be callous to it like humanity is. We, don't, we would be blind without him. We want to live by his word so that we don't stumble and fumble around in the darkness. You're either going to be sensitive to him and what he tells you, or you're going to be offending him. And Paul continues on in verse 19 how this darkened reasoning is insensitive and unfeeling and it doesn't stop. It's like a tick that is latched on for a prolonged period of time. This darkening reasoning, you can't make peace with it, according to Paul. I think a lot of Christians and even churches believe, hey, so long as we cave on this one worldly idea, it's going to be enough. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying that they continue to feast on this kind of idea. Their philosophies. You don't grow weary of it. Verse 19 is letting us know this goes one way. And the Word of God tells us here, those with darkened understanding take pleasure in unholy things. That's why they won't stop. But remember also, Paul's not writing this to a brothel. Paul's not writing this to some segment of society that's already outcast. He's writing this to a congregation. And he's asking, what do you take most pleasure in in your, this life? Where do, where do your philosophies and where the, the principles you live by come from? Are there things unholy that shouldn't be there on your list of how you're living? Don't you know that God came into this world in order to save sinners from it? And then Paul says something profoundly simple but profoundly important to grasp. This isn't how you learned Christ. You don't learn Jesus by the philosophies of the world. You don't learn the gospel by looking to the philosophies of the world or by loving sin. You learn the gospel when you eventually realize your sin is awful and terrible and you need a rescue from it. You get sick of sinning. And so why would you go back to a mindset, a philosophy that you had before knowing Christ? Paul says stop fooling yourselves. And then in verse 21, in one sense, uh, Paul gives us a diagnostic to ask ourselves if we're living in such a way that is godless in certain areas or that we've surrendered the clear teaching we know that God has given us, to us in scripture, us a diagnostic to figure out where it comes from. First, Paul wanted us to consider, is it our preferences? Is it our feelings that have led to this way of life, this darkened understanding? Or could it be at a congregational level? Could it be at a church level? Christian, this issue is so serious to God that we not be consumed with worldliness, that we have a little bit of Lancaster in us, that we are not to be marching to the beat of the world's drum, that if the church you're in is encouraging you not to listen to the clear teachings of God's word, they too can be a part of the problem. It's okay to leave churches and communities and denominations that are boldly walking in the ways of the world, darkening their understandings, not lifting up the word of God as its guiding light. We are not supposed to just stick with churches through thick and thin if the, th- the thick that they're getting into is the worldly philosophies. That's why I teach my children. I don't care what denomination you eventually go into uh, as an adult. Go be a Baptist. Go be an Anglican. Whatever. That's not my primary importance. Go to a church that upholds the word of God and has the courage to believe upon it. We cannot embrace darkened thinking. We cannot embrace callous philosophies of the world. We cannot embrace line of thinking on things that the Bible is clear on. On things like what is marriage. On things like what gender is. Or what life is. Or what racism is. Or what oppression is. You can't do that and continue being a biblically faithful church. There are certain lines in the Rubicon that cannot be crossed. And then in the final three verses, Paul uses this imagery of putting on the old self and putting on the new self. And the idea here is new clothes. There's a lot of movies that have this idea. You know, you start out with somebody who's homeless or from a scandalous state or is the high school nerd. You you stop by Nordstrom's and all of a sudden they're beautiful and wonderful and their whole life changes. And there's actually a little bit of that principle here in this passage this old self, new self is written in this changing clothes imagery. You've been given a better outfit. You've been given Christ, so wear it. Don't wear the rags. The world's philosophies are rags. Wear the good stuff. What clothes will you wear in the next week? And I'm not speaking of the Amish, you know, outfits, which my wife and I saw, uh, some Mennonites driving through Starbucks yesterday. like, all decked out. It was kind of hilarious. Um, One of those juxtapositions. It's not so much, but are you going to wear Christ in your day-to-day walk, in your weekly walk? Now let me close with this. Let me close with how the world would look at the Lancaster image and illustration that I've been carrying through this sermon. They would say... Oh, that's easy for you to say about Lancaster. They're a community that hasn't had the types of oppression, the types of darkness, the types of issues, the types of struggles that other communities have had. However, that would be a lie. Because back in 2006, I think it was in October, there was a gunman, suicidal gunman, who went into an Amish schoolhouse, and shot ten children, ages seven to thirteen. Five of them who ended up dying. And as someone who who ministered after the Mandalay Bay massacre in Las Vegas, I can tell you, there is no kind of despair like that to minister in a moment where you've just had life senselessly taken away by somebody. And then the gunmen turned. Gun on themselves. And the Amish community, within hours of the event, had yes, reached out to the ten families and saturated those ten families with love and kindness and goodness. And yet they also did one other thing that the world never is capable of doing. And I think the woman actually spoke at this church a couple years ago. They went to the gunman's family. And they ministered and they loved the gunman's family. Because they marched to the beat of a different drum. They were led and compelled by the word of God. The world would have rioted. The world would have condemned him on Twitter. Probably did if Twitter was around by the, back then. I forget. The world has no category for that kind of love and forgiveness. The world has no category for that kind of response. And yet a faithful Christian community does. And that's why its wisdom and its ways are so much better than the world has to offer. That's why we should be compelled to live by it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Help us not to be deceived. Help us to not be taken in. Help us to be changed. Help us to have courage and strength. To not believe the darkened understanding of the world, the logic of the world, but to believe the enlightened word that you hold up before us. And let us believe in the word because we foremost uphold to Christ in our lives. And we see how good and glorious he was and is for us through the power of the spirit.